0: of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows.
1: I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina a and t in Greensboro, North Carolina.
2: I'm Ania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling,
3: Louisiana. And I'm Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: So, hello everybody. I'm coming to you from the 538 studio in New York City. And uh, today the fellows and I are going to break down the Celebration Bowl. How North Carolina A&T t won. they defeated Grambling and and what the Celebration Bowl means for the players, for historical black colleges universities, and for the city of Atlanta. But first, let's get into uh, some of the sports news of the week. Uh Jerry Richardson, the owner of the Carolina Panthers is selling the Carolina Panthers misconduct allegations and (laughs) uh, P. Diddy is interested in buying the franchise Uh, not only does he seem to want the team though he called them the North Carolina Panthers several times uh, if if this happens he says he's going to hire Colin Kaepernick and put him in the running for quarterback next year Uh, right Colin Kaepernick tweeted that he liked that idea too I kind of like it too uh, in other news, Colby uh, has officially retired both of the jerseys he wore during his 20-year career. And uh, lastly, it's it's an, on a very serious note, I, I um, uh, ESPN president John Skipper uh, has resigned because of substance abuse addiction. Uh, the fellows and I wish him and his family strength this time, and we're going to discuss that uh, later in the show. Uh, but now let's uh, get back to the um, Celebration Bowl. Uh, I've got obviously Donovan Mania and Isaiah on the line. Uh, hey, everybody, how you guys doing?
3: Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Mr. Roden? How was your weekend?
0: Everything is good. Uh, you guys, you guys did a tremendous job. Uh, you were in Atlanta covering the third an- uh, annual Celebration Bowl, uh, which put the 2017 NBAC champs North Carolina A&T against the current SWAT champions from Grambling State University. Uh, John X. Miller, the senior news editor for The Undefeated, was there coordinating tremendous, tremendous coverage uh, for The Undefeated. Uh, welcome to the show, John X. Hi. Uh,
4: hello. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, let's start with uh, the A&T Aggie on the line. We might as well get this out the way. Uh, you already know? <laughs> yeah.
3: There's so much hate in his voice. That,
0: oh, God. No, no. Listen, man, it's all good. Well, Anyway, but but for each Isn't of you, really? for each of you, what was your favorite part of the uh, uh, of the game and covering the game, uh, Donovan? I want you to start off.
1: Well, for me, um, obviously being a proud North Carolina A and T Aggie, obviously my favorite part of the game was when when Renard scored the game winning touchdown to seal the HBCU national championship for us. Um, that had to be the most um, exciting part of the game. Just being able to be down on the sideline and see the crowd and the A and T fans just. Overjoyed and having like a whole lot of fun cheerleaders jumping around the players going crazy it was something that was on that very very unique and very cool to cover um, I got to work the the Twitter feed for the undefeated at that time and I got to post a video for it and it got a lot of traction it was really cool so for me, that was my favorite part of the game and the most exciting part of the game you know Aggie pride
0: so so um for you isaiah what was what was some of the highlights of the coverage and what were some of the most challenging parts of covering the game
3: um well It was HBC football at at its highest level, which uh, it was a privilege, I guess, for me to see because, like I said, I go to Morehouse, and so our level of football is not that high. So it was good to see really high-quality football, um, people actually, people that are actually good that may have a chance, uh, a shot at playing at the next level. So that was good. But, I mean, I guess in terms of challenges, I know the very first night at the Welcome Den, I tried to um, get an interview with uh, A&T's coach, and he kind of spurned me a little bit and I guess I never I never faced that before just because, you know, specifically on Morehouse campus, you know, people know my face. So I've never been spurned by a coach, especially one that I have to interview. And especially if I have to turn it around really fast, that usually doesn't happen. So that was kind of an interesting predicament that I just had to work around. And I know uh, Mr. Miller helped me out and got me the at commissioner. So it was good. How,
0: how did you – I'm just curious. I mean, yeah, I want to hear about what happened to Grambley But, but uh, John X, how did you um... – You know, obviously that happens a lot. You know, coaches are reluctant to talk. How how did you uh, navigate that? And how was the availability?
4: Well, sometimes you're not going to get the interview that you want, and you just got to kind of move on to something else. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the first night of the weekend was a fun event a family feud between the two teams that really was fun and I think one of the things that coach probably didn't want he wanted the players to revel in that, that light moment where they were enjoying each other enjoying family and taking tours at the Georgia Aquarium so I think you know he kind of wanted to uh, to downplay kind of the seriousness of the weekend to give the kids a little chance to just chill out and he wanted to experience it himself, because one of the things uh, he had said previously was that from coming to the first Celebration Bowl that he wanted to do things a little differently the second time around.
0: Hey, and so, Mania, you've been um, you know patiently waiting in the wings. What was your experience? First of all, what happened to Grambling? I mean, they played well, but in your analysis, what happened to Grambling?
2: Yeah, I believe Grambling um, they really held their own until the end. You know, after Reynard, he uh, the whole touchdown that was scored and you know, it was like 30, 38 seconds left in the game. You know, I, I think he played really well, and I just think it. If we just had more time, you know, it, it, it could have worked out. But I think the main thing that went wrong was they should have ruled it as a fumble. But um, you know, it was ruled as an incomplete.
3: It wasn't a fumble. It wasn't a fumble. It was. F- if you go back. and look Yeah, it at wasn't a fumble. fumble at all. Yeah, it wasn't a fumble at all. A mans didn't even get a chance to turn around fully before the ball was, like, out. You yeah, yeah. never have possession of that ball. See, <laughs> yeah, always,
0: no, you know, with A&T, is it's always one. something. There's <laughs> always some cloud. Go ahead, go ahead, Mania. Don't let them shout you down like that. What, what, what did oh, you think, I wasn't.
2: Um, I know what happened, so. <laughs> was it a fumble? Yeah. yeah um, no,
1: Gremlin Was it no, a fumble? No, Grambling not win. That's what we know. <laughs> we know what
2: happened. Yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. see. And, and when, I didn't say that they did. It was, so,
0: but was it a fumble? It was. It wasn't, was. Even, close.
1: It
2: was
4: wasn't even
0: close to being ruled. Hey, hey, John X, let, let's bring in. Let's bring in the voice of of wisdom and experience here. You know, X has <laughs> co- covered look, look. Super Bowls, championship games. You know, X was yeah, it a fumble?
4: No, it was. It was not a fumble. It was a <laughs> complete pass because, as they say, in football parlors, he didn't have a chance to make a football move once he had the ball. And so, you know, one of the things uh, that that was significant in the game, though, is that it was a championship game. Mm. And so when you have championship caliber of games, every play counts, right. you know, and so you had to bring your A game on every play. And so that's significant for HBCU football, because now people understand when you know that they're going to the Celebration Bowl, it's going to be a top game. Mm. You had two ranked teams. You had two great coaches. You had two programs that are on the come-ups. Um, and so... It was significant in that regard, you know you one of the questions you asked earlier, well, it was the favorite part of the game for me, the favorite part of the game was the fact that it was happening at all. Mm. The fact mm. that HBC was getting shined like that on ABC uh, on a, on the first game of the the bowl season, wow. and the players played like it was a championship game, and in championship games, as we see in the NFL or college football every every Saturday during the fall, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point that Mr. Miller made, uh, especially taking into account that this is the 125th year of HBCU football. Uh, I think the game between A&T and Grambling was a great culmination of that, and it was a good celebration of the pride and you know the history and the excitement that we get from HBCU football and everything that's endured throughout this 125 years, ever since going back to that first game between Johnson C. Smith and Livingstone um, in December. And so I think it was just a great, culmination of a game a great culmination of 125 years for hbcu football and we look forward to like many more
3: uh i i kind of have a question um you know and donovan in bringing up the 125 years i kind of want to know what's next for hbcu football um now we're now they brought it to the main stage i mean this game was broadcast on abc like this is this is a very very big game but so now i just want to know from your perspective guys what's next
0: that's a great question. What what is next? Uh clearly this was just more than just a simple game. But yeah, that's a great question for everybody. What what's next? What should be next?
1: Um, I think it's not enough to have just one game televised on A B C and the ESPN networks a year. I think that we need to get more we need to get more coverage and get more publicity out, um, to these H B C U to these H B C U gangs because the product on the field as we saw in the celebration bowl is stellar. It deserves to be seen by the masses, but it's just not right now. And I think that the, really the next step for HBCUs is making sure that we can get more coverage and have more games like the Celebration Bowl to make, to make HBCU football more relevant to people who didn't go to HBCUs. I know that the Celebration Bowl means a lot to people like us who, who are um, involved with HBCUs and who went to HBCUs and all of that, but to the, to the general masses and general public, um, I don't think they really understand the meaning of what the Celebration Bowl is.
2: I agree, and even with um, what the undefeated is doing, you know, we had a ton, ton of coverage surrounding the Celebration Bowl, which was, which was amazing. You know, and people can see that content. People who go to HBCUs, who don't go to HBCUs, they can see that content and in draw an interest. And especially since it's televised, I feel like our future is more people are going to start watching, even if they don't have any relation to the schools. I, I think it's on the up and up.
4: You know, uh, and I think, you know, both, uh, uh, Mania and Donovan are right. I think what's next is a, a couple of things. One is I think for the celebration bowl in particular, we need to get more interest in the, the Atlanta area. Anybody within an hour of Atlanta should have an interest in coming to the game because it's not just two teams from, uh, North Carolina, and and Grammarly. It should be a celebration of HBCU football. And so that's one thing that I think we're going to you know, shift the marketing to next year. Second thing is, as Mania referenced, you know, we told a lot of great stories, not only about the game but about the players. Uh, the story that, uh, that Maya Jones did about the graduation ceremony that Grambling held uh, in Atlanta for the football players who were there who couldn't go to the, to the winter graduation. That was a really good story. The story that Donovan did about the anti- and Grambling players uh, visiting the hospital to visit sickle cell children. You know that's the kind of story that you won't read anywhere else. Not only about you know HBCUs, but you won't read stories like that about Division One players who are going to bowl games. Because unfortunately, oftentimes when reporters go to bowl games, they're just going to report on the sports. You know, they're not going to report on the kinds of stories that that humanize these players. And whether it's Alabama or Alabama A and M or Alabama State, realistically, most of the players who are being reported on in D one football and of course d1 basketball are going to be black players so we want to tell stories that humanize the players we want to tell stories about what happens off the field um and then then the other story that that i really liked and and isaiah mania and donovan had a part in this was was the uh, playlist of Mm -hmm. the players at the celebration bowl Oh yeah, you know we wanted to have a little fun Mm -hmm. uh and you know nowadays everybody gets hyped for the game with their own Mm playlist and and um mania and donovan got the songs And and then Isaiah did a really good job of writing that story. Mm. So we want to humanize the players. We want to show people that these are our sons, these are our brothers, these are our cousins. Um, They may be balling in a celebration bowl. They may not be balling on Sunday in the NFL, but they're going to be coaches. They're going to be doctors, lawyers, uh, dads. And we want to humanize it because that story is bigger than football.
2: I also want to add that they're actually getting rid of the Slack Championship. This was the last Slack Championship because they really want the Celebration Bowl to be a bigger deal. So I definitely think that um, the Slack is definitely taking a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, hey, hey, uh, Mania. I know everybody else sort of weighed in on what their favorite part of the Celebration Bowl was. What was what was your favorite part?
2: Um, my favorite part was definitely the Gramlin graduation. Um, I got to cover that with Maya, and it was. It was amazing. You just got to see the players graduate and their family showing up to support them. And then I also got to see a lot of my friends from back home graduate because they did like a live um, Skype in, which is really cool. And we got to, you know, kind of converse back and forth. So it was a great way for me to um, still be at the graduation and um, also recognizing those players as well.
0: Yeah, that, 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 that really was a good event, a very good story. Well, listen, we're going to take a, a, a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue the discussion about the Celebration Bowl and uh, what it means for HBCUs, players, and alumni. We'll be right back. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm on the phone with my co-host, Donovan Dewey from the North Carolina A&T University, uh, Mania Shabazz, and Isaiah Smalls. Um, Our guest is senior news editor for The Undefeated, John X. Miller. And we've talked uh, at length about highlights from the Celebration Bowl uh, which is a premier event for HBCU football teams. Uh, let, let's move on to Atlanta. It's not my favorite. I shouldn't say that. But, uh, 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 John, do you think that, and maybe everybody can weigh in, but do you think Atlanta is a good place to have the event?
4: I do. I, I think it's a good a good place because of proximity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the only other places that would, would lend itself to it might be, you know, Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, you need a place where people can drive to and get to, you need a place that's not going to be in December, you know, too far north because of weather. Uh, and then, you know, Atlanta is the black Mecca. I mean, it used chocolate city used to be DC, but now Atlanta could be considered that. So I think the location is great. The stadium is state of the art. It's unlike any other stadium in the country. And so I think Atlanta is the right place. I think we just have to now, you know, begin to market and, and think about the game and the audience of the game a little differently. Um, But I think
3: Atlanta is the right place. Yeah, really just piggybacking off of what Mr. Miller said, I feel like all black people, when they're trying to take a vacation, they want to go to Atlanta. Um, I don't know why. It's been a common thing around just my friends um, and friends of friends. Like my mom, when she takes trips, she wants to come to Atlanta. And I know, you know, just in being here, you know, the city's kind of lost a little bit of its allure to me. But, you know, I think the, the location is a great place. Yeah, I think Atlanta is. Um, I think Atlanta's a really good place to have it, just
1: considering where like the location of many HBCUs are is in the southeast region. So having, especially with Atlanta being the mecca, um, I think Atlanta is a good place. It brings appeal and it brings uh, good notoriety to HBCUs as well.
0: What do you think, Mania?
2: I agree with um, what they said. I think Atlanta is a good location, although I would like it to be in the south. Um, Wait a minute, I, Atlanta, I, I, when,
0: when, when did Atlanta move to the north? I mean, Atlanta's pretty... No, no, no,
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, like the, it's pretty I, south from I, where I, I sit. Like, in the FWAC region, also, I didn't mean to say that. South the region.
1: South
0: West. So we're to move Southwest. to Mississippi? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Mississippi? Do you want to be in place? nobody's going to Mississippi? <laughs> nobody's kidding. going to Mississippi. But but nobody's going to know.
4: Mississippi.
0: But wait a minute, <laughs> hey, hey, X. Wouldn't wouldn't some like a Jackson? Wouldn't it be cheaper if you moved some like Jackson or well, now New Orleans is fun but in now.
4: December, But but, it's, but in December you need an indoor venue. Okay. Right. What about the zoo? Uh, and that was, yeah. that was that was obvious. That was obvious in Atlanta because you know outside it was you know. Forty degrees mm-hmm. and windy, and so you need an inside venue in December. The only other place I think you might be able to have it is, are in places where there are NFL stadiums, mm-hmm. so and it's New going Orleans. to be difficult. To, it's going to be difficult to schedule something in, in Dallas, for instance, or in uh, New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, because really those are the only other indoor NFL stadiums. Miami might be a little too far south, right?
0: Um, and, 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 so
4: I think
3: I think geographically and for and for the facilities. Atlanta is probably the right place. You gotta think about Dallas is extremely far too. That's a hike.
0: Forget Dallas. But you know, um, the Superdome has a history. They, they host the, you know, the, the game between Grambling and Southern every year. Bayou Classic. Um, yeah, the Bayou Classic, and they always, if not fill it up. So there they is a history of, of having a, a large HBCU present there. I don't know how much is just because it's too. Um, you know, to Louisiana schools, but um, like,
4: the other thing you got to worry about right. is scheduling with the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and and that you know because you know they're not going to put a game into the, one of their stadiums prior to a game the very next day,
0: right? right. You know what I mean? Yeah,
4: and so you know, scheduling in the, the Celebration Bowl or any venue a year or two out gives the NFL some flexibility in their scheduling because if it, you know the stadium owner is going to say, look. We're going to have a home game on December 17th or the Celebration Bowl on December 16th. You know which way they're going.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. right. Well, 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 I think that all things being said, uh, I think the point that each of you made is that uh, it's a great venue. Just work now to, to do more. Uh, which leads to a, uh, one of the last questions. What then, uh, uh, maybe starting with John, what should the Celebration Bowl do to promote itself more within Atlanta? Should it reach out more to grassroots support from high school and youth league? And can you make the, the the price is a little more affordable.
4: Yes, I think they got to reach out to youth and high school football, mm-hmm. uh, because Atlanta's known for you know really good high school football yeah. and youth programs. And you got the Falcons, you know. So there needs to be I think a, a a more strategic partnership with the Falcons for one, but also with youth football and high school football. Mm-hmm. You know, if you could say for instance, uh, you know, the teams that win the high school football championships get a free ticket to the celebration bowl
0: mm, that's a good you know? idea, yeah.
4: or the teams that make it to the finals. Cause mm. how many divisions do they have in, in, in Georgia, like, you know, six divisions, you know, from, you know, one A to six A, you know, say, you know, we'll give a ticket to every team that makes it to the final game in the, the Georgia athletic association football playoff. Yeah. Uh, that alone will put some people in. The
0: hey, um, uh, uh, just in the, in the few minutes that we've got left, um, a&T's uh, left tackle, Brandon Parker, and Grambling State running back, Martes Carter, are both um, you know 2018 NFL Draft hopefuls. And after watching the season and the game, uh, let's start with you, um, Donovan. Do you think that anyone else is on that list of potential pros?
1: Yeah, I think there are a long list of uh, hopefuls for um, A&T, not necessarily this year, but definitely coming up in the years. Um, after this year, obviously, like you said, Brandon Parker, 2018, he's um, one of the, probably the most high hopeful for A and T this season. But some guys to maybe look out for down the line uh, will definitely be um, Elijah Bell, um, the wide receiver, number thirteen, our wide receiver. I think he had like something about eight catches for 90 yards um, in the Celebration Bowl victory. Um, I think he's a, he's a big, tall, strong wide receiver that's like really hard to cover. Um, I could definitely see him playing on Sunday soon. He's only a sophomore, though. Mm. And um, also, uh, Mac McCain, the guy who won defensive player of the game for the Celebration Bowl, had a, had a really crucial interception in the end zone off Devontae Kincaid. Um, I think he has potential to be – he has, uh, definitely has pro potential moving forward. Um, those are two guys right now, just off the top of my head, that – Couldn't make waves in the NFL, and obviously, you have Raynard who who still can make some noise in the NFL, but he's only a junior right now, so he still has a year to get better. Uh, Cartwright, obviously, is a junior. He's still got time to get better.
2: Um, I'm definitely going to have to go with uh, Devontae Kincaid for Gremlin with over 6,000 yards and 62 touchdowns. Um, I definitely think he's going to be a big hopeful for the NFL. Um, Also, Trenton Scott. I, I also think that he would um definitely make it and like you said of course uh Martez Carter, I think those those are my three strong picks as far as going into the NFL uh this upcoming season. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, and so uh I agree pretty much with what uh Mania and Darwin have said, but there there are a couple of things that impress me from seeing these guys play. One is that Parker is a big young man. And he probably has maybe 3% body fat. Mm. Okay. Wow. And so, for an offensive lineman who's already six, seven, and probably close to 300 pounds, he could add another 20 pounds easy. Mm. Uh, and playing left tackle. Everybody knows how important left tackles are in the NFL. And he's got good feet. Uh, you know, people were saying at the start of the season he might be a fourth round pick. Now people are saying he might be a second round pick. Wow. And that's huge because you're a second round pick in the NFL as an offensive lineman. That means you're going to be playing on Sunday. Uh, he's also a smart player. I mean, what well, he's an engineering major. Wow. Uh, and so I, I think he's that. that's right. Okay. So I think he has the most potential of all of them. And the second person I think is, is, is Kincaid because of his quickness and elusiveness and his arm strength. You know, people I were talking to in the press box, uh, compared him to Russell Wilson hmm. and his ability to, to change the play when the play is broken down. Um, and then the third player is that is Bell, the receiver from A and T because of his size, uh and he's only gonna get better. He's got great hands already. Uh and he's what six two or six three, about two ten. Uh and that's yeah. you know, now that's prototypical size for NFL wide receivers. And you know he's gonna get coached up at A and T. Hmm. The other thing about A and T is that they have this this love uh and relationship with Tariq Cohen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they can look as a squad and as a as a team uh to, to recruit and say he's ours. He's the first of ours to come out of here in a while and they can use that leverage to inspire other young men to come to ANT and get coached up and then try to make it into the league.
0: Yeah, you know, we you, listen, you, you, the coverage was spectacular. It was really great all the way around from uh the undefeated folks, the veterans, Uh, From uh, the fellows, you guys, and and the coordination, you guys did a a marvelous job. Uh, That's all the time we have for the show today. But before we close out, we'll leave you with some thoughts to consider. Of course, the the news of the day in our industry was uh, earlier this week, uh, the president of ESPN, John Skipper, announced that immediately he was uh, resigning. Uh, to deal with some personal issues around uh, substance abuse, and I, 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 each of you, each of the fellows, and of course uh, you, John X, you've had different interactions with you. But I want to ask uh, each of you how you found out about the news and and uh, what what you thought about it. Maybe X, why don't you why don't you start?
4: All right, I was just rolling in from the airport uh, Monday morning when Mark Wright, one of our uh veteran editors and reporters who's worked for espn for 20 years and who and who knows john skipper personally called me and said did you hear about skipper and i said oh lord uh so i was expecting the worst news but he said you know he's resigning because of a substance abuse problem and so when i heard that i just kind of said okay the first thing i thought was let me pray for him and let me pray for his family and let me also understand how much courage it took to say that publicly i don't know the backstory we don't know the backstory yet but the but the fact of the matter is that, you know, it is a it is a life-altering decision not only for him but for us because you know he helped birth the undefeated along with uh, along with Bill. I mean, I, you know, he'll tell you the story about them sitting down and, and chopping it up and talking about this this idea that that Skipper made happen despite opposition, despite naysayers, despite some bumps in the road early on, he made it happen. And so, you know, if Kevin is our editor in chief you know, John Skipper was our godfather. And so when you lose somebody like that, it's important to recognize his contribution to it, but it's also, we have to recognize that we got to keep it moving uh, and take with us what he gave us and be stewards of it. Yeah, I think that was very
1: well said what Mr. Miller um, just said. It's kind of words about uh, Mr. Skipper. Um, One of the things that really resonated with me when I when I heard the news, I mean, Aaron, our producer Aaron sent me an email that morning. Was will all of us an email that morning. I looked at it and I was just shocked. And I was like, wow. You know, I, I couldn't really believe it at that moment. I went down, I told my mama what was happening. It was like, wow. She was shocked too. But, you know, and when you think about it, you know, kind of in retrospect, it's like, you know, you really pray for Mr. Skipper and hope that everything that he's dealing with, that he's able to pull through and I'm um, able to, you know, live a healthy life. You know, that's first and foremost. And, you know, secondly, just the thing that he was able to do with us, with, um, with the Undefeated and establishing, helping you establish the Roden Fellows, Mr. Roden, was something that was very instrumental in my life and that was very impactful on my life. And, I, you know, I thanked him a lot um, for that and for his involvement in creating diversity at ESPN and really putting a emphasis on creating diversity in the workplace at ESPN and making sure that everybody felt comfortable and everybody was given a shot to show what they, to show what they can do.
0: And you met him during the summer, right, Donovan? You actually, you asked, yeah. you asked for a meeting. And he yeah, I graciously gave. Yeah, him. I
1: actually got to uh, meet him just to briefly talk about some ideas that I had about the company and some stuff that I could help the company. Um, and as a Roten fellow, and he was just very receptive of everything that I had to say, all of my ideas I was pitching to him. He was giving me feedback on them. He was explaining to me what the goal of ESPN was. You know, and most bosses won't really do that. You know, most presidents of certain corporations aren't going to come and listen to basically an intern give ideas, but he was.
0: Mania, you um, you heard about the news with everybody else. Where? How would you hear and when, when, what do you think? What's your reaction?
2: It's just something that you just wouldn't expect. And uh, like everyone said, you know, I really hope that everything definitely works out for him. And I hope you know, it, it all comes together for him. And I applaud him for, you know, coming out and, and actually just being honest instead of, you know, having like a scandal or something come out, just coming out forth him, his words, saying it. So I, I do appreciate that.
0: And Isaiah?
3: I got the info just from a push notification on my phone. Um, My first thought, you know, was to pray for him, pray for his family, and then kind of I don't, I don't know, praise him for, you know, having the courage to speak out about this issue. Because, you know, and just in the world that we live in today, you know, people are very private. People are always looking for privacy. Because social media, it puts everyone's life on blast. And so just for him to have the courage to, you know, want to tackle this issue head on, I, you know, I praise him for that. And then obviously, you know, I wish him luck in the next phase of his life. Um, I was just really surprised by how committed he was to diversity. I mean, everyone says, if you talk to any boss, they're like, Oh yeah, we, we definitely want diversity. We definitely need diversity. But like, you don't really see many people practicing what they preach. I really admired that because that's something that's very, it's very unique in the corporate world. Um, so, hmm. uh,
0: one of the things I wrote was that, in an industry dominated by executives who merely pay lip service to diversity and especially to promoting and elevating African Americans, John Skipper showed his commitment to diversity with deeds, not words. Uh, witnessed The Undefeated, and The Rodent Fellows. Uh, obviously, I was shocked, but one of the, the most impactful things that um, I, I've heard was actually a conversation I had with John X. Miller uh, because we, we talked about what all this meant. Obviously, after uh, wishing wishing uh, John his family uh, strength and, and our prayers, we also talked about what this meant for the undefeated, and what this meant for the Roden Fellows. Uh, because as 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 John said, and, and as each of you know, uh, John Skipper was a huge huge uh, proponent and backer of both the undefeated and the Roden Fellows. And one of the things that John was saying: what now? What next? How do each of us, uh, from Kevin Merida to uh, John X. Miller uh, to, to me, to all the veterans on the staff, how do each of us put all of our experience and our, our everything we know, how do we put that to use to make sure that uh, the undefeated and the Rodent Fellows prosper and survive and grow? And that we really owe that to the faith that John Skipper uh, had in both endeavors. So I just think that it's incumbent on, uh, on everybody, not on this call, but everybody at the undefeated, uh, and Roden Fellows present and future to determine what we can do, how we can work together, uh, to, to make sure that both projects, both things that John Skipper really believed in, uh, not only just prosper, but they grow. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Tony Chow and Martin Unable are in the control room. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as all day. What are those? And morning roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.